0: Hello, welcome to another episode of the Alex Speaks Podcast. I am your host, Alex Screvious, and I am back with another community leader. Last week, I interviewed Captain Norm Leong with the Sacramento Police Department. After the interview, I told him that although I was nervous and scared to talk to him, I was happy he came by to be interviewed. Me and my parents tell me it is the job of the police department to protect and serve all communities, and I'm hoping that good relationships can be made. My first book, Awesomely Aaron, is now in print. You can pre-order it it now. The book can either be sent to you or you can pick up a copy at my book release party, which will be held at the end of August or early September. The date will be announced soon. If you are interested, send me an email at alexvigaspeaks at gmail.com and I will send you information on how to order your copy, plus I'll sign your copy. It is joke time. As always I've brought a joke to share and my guest has brought a joke to share. My joke is, how much does a pirate pay to, to get his ear pierced? I don't know how much. A buccaneer. <laughs> Not a buccaneer. Aunt <laughs> Elizabeth,
1: what is your joke? Okay, my joke is so there's ten cats in a boat. Mm-hmm. Alright. One of them jumps out. How many cats do you have left? How many? Zero, because they're copycats. today's
0: guest is my aunt Elizabeth Morgan she does a lot of great things for people with developmental disabilities Elizabeth is a student (coughs) at UC Davis she is getting her doctorate degree along with being a student she works as a program coordinator for the UC Davis Center for Excellence in Developmental Disabilities at the Mind Institute her focus is early childhood and early intervention services with specific interest in underrepresented populations. She has been educating people for a long time. She has her master's degree in education from a Harvard graduate school of education and has supported early childhood practitioners in utilizing developmentally appropriate practice and inclusion strategies since 2004 right now elizabeth works as a graduate researcher at the Mind institute she has a child with autism and she is a board member for the Warmline family resource center in sacramento welcome to the alex speaks podcast on elizabeth thank you
1: so much alex that was an
0: amazing welcome thank you introduction i am going to ask you some questions are you ready i am so ready so you What is the UC Davis Mind Institute? And tell me about your job there. Okay, so the UC
1: Davis Mind Institute um, is a collaborative international research center. It was founded in 1998 actually by a group of parents, so like myself and your mom and dad, um, that have a child on the autism spectrum. And so the whole goal of those parents getting together was to help create this place on on the west coast that can be able to do research specifically in autism um, on whether it be how it came to be or what are some ways to be able to support children and families. Um, And then it was also, uh, the goal was to be able to create an awareness in the community about autism and as well as how to support children and families. And so my role at UC Davis is I work as a researcher in the Collaborative Start Lab, so I do autism research. Um, and I also uh, serve as a, as a uh, community uh, outreach specialist, specifically supporting children
0: and families who have children with disabilities at the SED. So my mom used to work with you once a month to lead a parent support group called Sancofa. What does Sancofa mean and what is the group for? That's such a good question. So the
1: actual word Sankofa comes from um, a word and the word comes from a word in the Twi language from the country of Ghana, which is in the continent of Africa. It's on the west part of Africa. And basically the word translates to mean go back and get it or go back and fetch it. Right? And so if you think about it, um, there's actually symbol, there's actual symbols to represent Sankofa and one of them looks like a heart and then the other one looks like a bird and the bird has its feet planted forward and its head looking back. And the whole idea is that as you move forward in your journey of life, you need to look back and give back to your community. And I love this idea because what it really means is that in everything we do, we need to always remember to give back so that others can make progress also. So um, Sankopa, the, the support group that your mother and I um, helped facilitate, really is about being able to take all of the resources and information that we've gathered um, over the years of being parents to you and to my son um, and to be able to give back to people in our community, um, and as well as have other members, uh, community members who are even more knowledgeable about the, the, the concept and have been parenting so much longer than us um, to give back to even us. And so we really have created this community where now over 75 families have been participating uh, in the group. And that means that there's 75 family units in our Sacramento area that their children are getting help because um, in the black community, it's really not something that many parents uh, will talk about or know much about because it's still, there's a stigma associated with disability. Um, And so uh, it's a space, a safe space for parents to come and get really solid information so that they can help their
0: kids. And I really personally find a lot of joy in that. You have really good, great, you have really great jobs helping kids with autism and, like, helping families, like, understand and, like, helping people in Sankofa. And it, I like your jobs a lot. Yeah. So, you are a busy, um, so you're really busy all the time. Like, you have school, you have the Mind Institute, you have Sankofa. So, do you like your jobs and, like, how do you, like, how are the people and, like, how do you... Like your jobs that's a really
1: good question um i do love my jobs i do i think that um everything that i do i i tell people i would do it just because i love to do it not necessarily because i get any kind of pay or anything like that even though i do love the pay (laughs) i do it because it's something that i do um, i get a lot of personal satisfaction from so i love uh, the idea of research um i love the specifically research to impact systems and make systemic change and I also love teaching. I'm a teacher at heart. I'm an educator at heart. I started my career as a teacher and I also love the idea of really community um, action, right, so doing things that create social change, and I think that I'm able to do that in my positions, and I love that I can do that, and so yeah, it keeps me really busy, but I think, so like, basically my whole life is autism, right, so at home, I have a lot of aspects of autism, at work, I have a lot of aspects of school, everything is autism, Um, but I wouldn't have it any other way, because the people that I love the dearest, like my son and you, are on the autism spectrum, so I feel like in some way I'm just doing what I love.
0: So you are a student at the UC Davis to get a doctorate degree. What is it like to go back to school when you are an adult? Because my mom has to go back to school every Wednesday. So how
1: is it like for you? Ah, that's good. Um, so now I'm going into my fourth year of my PhD program, um, and so I, that means that right now I no longer have classes, but I'm writing my dissertation, and so. That is a really interesting process. I think that First of all, I love the fact that I've had my experience before going into my PhD program, right? So I got my master's in 2003 and then came back uh, from Boston and I came to Sacramento and um, helped start up PS7, start up an elementary school and did that for five years. And then I was an adjunct professor for Los Rios Community College for several years too. Um, And so in that process, I feel like I learned so much of applied experience. So I knew really, um, I have a really good concept development from seeing it um, but then also being a parent has made a big difference because I've experienced development from the beginning until you know my kids are my oldest child's now 12 going on 13 so I've seen that experience too so I feel like that experience has really helped me quite a bit and has helped me in my research right and helped me in my scholarship and I think I remember too being a young administrator before I had kids and people would talk to me about parenting and I would get it from a concept of understanding the book knowledge but now as being a parent like I get it on a whole nother level right so I think that that helps me in all areas just even being a student.
0: So you started up PS7 so how is it like working there and like making the school to where it is
1: now? Well? Yeah so um, for those who don't know PS7 is a charter elementary school here in Sacramento and I started I helped start PS7 um, right out of graduate school so as soon as I finished my master's program um, I was 23 and I came back and helped start up the school. And I, my particular area of focus was I focused on our parent engagement and tried to support our families uh, being able to continue with the learning and being involved uh, in their their child's education. And so, what was really rewarding about that, um, and also hard, because it was. I tell people all the time, like doing being a school administrator um, and specifically helping to start up a school was really, really difficult um, because of the hours and how much work it took to put in making this all happen. Because when we first started up the school, we, we had uh, the, the beginning of the day started at 7 a.m. and the end of the day started at 5 p.m. So people were were in school a long time. The kids were just in school that long. And so then the people, the adults, the teachers, and administrators, we had to be there far longer. So some days I would get there really early. and wouldn't leave until like 10.30 at night, 11 o'clock. And that was really common. So it was a lot of work, right? I was working really hard, but I didn't have a family then, so I could get away with that, right? Um, So that was a really hard, but also very rewarding experience. So the kids that were at the school when I was there, now many of them are in college. And so I just recently went to party where one of them she graduated college and she's going on to a PhD program in Texas and it was just so amazing because I knew all of them since they were you know earlier than your age right now Alex they were really young some of them were in kindergarten and to see where they're at now is just amazing so um, that was a really great experience and I value it um, but it was a lot of work
0: I probably would not do that again so how long have you lived in Sacramento and what is your favorite neighborhood in the city so I am born and
1: raised uh from sacramento um so i went to elementary school here and i also went to high school here i went to christian brothers and so as soon as i hit 18 i couldn't get couldn't get out of sacramento fast enough to be honest. So I left, I moved to New Orleans, Louisiana. I went to Xavier University of Louisiana, which is a HBCU, which stands for Historically Black College University. And it's actually um, the only black Catholic college in the country, so or in the world, really. Um, and I went there um, not knowing much about Louisiana, New Orleans, or anything, but I just knew that I had to be somewhere different. And I just learned about the college through a close friend of mine who went to Dillard, which was a rival school, um, and told me that, you know, you should look into Xavier. Even though that was a a rival college, he was like, you know, this sounds like you would really love Xavier, and I went, and I met some friends from uh, New Orleans, and I went and visited, and I loved it. And I have, to this day, I have the best experience. I went to, um, going to Xavier, I just met the most amazing people. It was really just so many uh, positive people. Um, But then after Xavier, I went to um, Boston and then after Boston I came back to Sacramento. So I've been back in Sacramento now for about uh, sixteen years. So I came back in two thousand and three. So I that's sixteen, right? <laughs> or is it fifteen? I don't I think it's sixteen. Do the (laughs) math. So something like that. I've been here for a while. And as far as neighborhoods, of course, I'm from Oak Park, so I'm always going to have a bias for Oak Park. I think Oak Park is an amazing place. Um, My experience at Oak Park has always been the story of working class people um, just really working hard to make the best for their families. So it was really common um, when I was growing up. We had a community in my neighborhood. So my neighbor, um, who her name was Miss Grant, and she was 80 at the time, taught me how to ride my bike. And so we had this really older lady that taught me how to ride my bike and then we had our neighbors across the street that, you know, I would play with their, their uh, children and I mean, just it was a real community, but everybody just worked hard, you know, and so my experience of a park, which some might consider like a really, um, at, especially at that time, they, they've perceived it as like the more real urban, which is a code word, um, uh, area of Sacramento, um, you know I didn't see it that way I saw it as just a place that people um who didn't have a lot they made them they made the best out of what they had so I love a park but I also love other parts of Sacramento I love um Land Park I love Curtis Park I love
0: even Rockland so there's a lot of areas of Sacramento that I really like so you are really busy all the time like I said so what do you like to do for fun so for fun I like to dance so I'm a part of this um
1: group so whenever I get a chance and I'm not too busy with school or work or family obligations I try to go dancing so um, and one of the things that I, I do also is I participate in a women's dance group called the hundreds unit and what's really awesome about that is that we perform at major events so we'll perform at um, like concerts so I, per- I performed with Bobby Brown. Yes, the Bobby Brown, thank you. I know you're excited about that, yes. And um, I performed at uh, Kings games and also at a 49ers game, a football game. So all those things I had an opportunity to do that through this group called the Hundred Unit. And what's nice is that we get a chance to know get our dance routines going we look really great um, and the women are all really really positive and encouraging because it's all shapes all sizes all dance abilities um, all abilities There's people with uh, physical disabilities are participating neurodevelopmental differences are participating uh, neurotypical everyone's participating and then um, you know all races I mean it really is it's a lot of fun so I have a really good time dancing and then when I can't do that what I recently started getting into is weight training so I've started doing lifting
0: weights and I'm starting to enjoy that So in your biography, you said that you have a specific interest in underrepresented populations. What does that mean? That's a good
1: question. So underrepresented populations are really, and we're talking about autism in particular. We're talking about groups of people that, when we're looking at the literature, so the research, are not represented, right? So it's whether the literature or they're they're not being represented when it comes to what's. Who's receiving treatment and diagnosis and things of that sort? So, in the Black community in particular, or African American community, um, children uh, who are Black are, you know, up to three times more likely to be misdiagnosed. So that means that they'll get a different diagnosis before they get autism. So we know that it's almost like if you if you have a something going on with you, right? So if you have asthma but they're treating you for diabetes that's not going to be helpful right so you need the right diagnosis right to be able to get treatment so um, that's a big deal but then also children who are black are also less likely to be diagnosed during early intervention so early intervention is really zero early intervention is really zero to five, but in California, it's zero to three is our early start. Um, the time that you get early intervention. And so um, most black children are diagnosed much later than that. They're mostly diagnosed about eight years old and plus, And they're diagnosed and they're identified in schools and not necessarily in the medical um, diag- get a medical diagnosis. So there's really big differences when it comes to services there and access to information. Um, and so when I say helping underrepresented communities, I'm really looking at those populations. How can we be able to bridge the gap between uh, what we have and what we know is best practice to be able to get to everyone and so that's what I'm interested in.
0: So you you said that you um, performed with Bobby Brown so what did you do so what did so what did you do like what's the story of that?
1: Okay well so during the time that um, I was dancing with the hundreds unit um, one of the performances that we had was during a old-school concert so there was Bobby Brown was there um, Warren G was there um, Keith Sweat, so there's all of these like old school <laughs> people that were during my era, of, which is actually really popular again, the 90s. And so um, we got a chance to dance with them um, while they were performing, so it was kind
0: of cool. So you, I know that, you, that people with autism like to be included in schools and on sports teams. Why is the inclusion for people with de- developmental disabilities important? So
1: I think it's important because when we're thinking about access, and um, that means people's rights um, to, to things, it really should be that everyone has access. So um, the legislation that we have, which is the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act and the Americans with Disabilities Act, um, ADA, those two pieces of law um, have allowed, Has what our country has said, is basically said, saying that people with disabilities should have a right. To be able to ha- be included, so we have that law. And a lot of other countries do not have those laws. I just came back from Kenya, and that you know that's an example of a country that's trying to develop laws like that. And some countries um, that I that when I went to Africa and I visited, um, I noted there were some countries that don't have any laws about disabilities or even um, recognize autism as a disability, right? So in our country, we do in the United States we do have these laws. And so for me, when I'm thinking about these laws, I know that the origins of those laws come from civil rights. Um, legislation, which was the same legislation that really looked at things like segregation and Jim Crow, and I don't know if you know what Jim Crow is. You know what Jim Crow is? What yeah. is it, Alex?
0: It's like he was the person who
1: segregated people. Good yeah, from... Kind of. He, it was a, he, he wasn't a person, well, but he, it, was a, it was a set of laws. Yeah. That's really good, yeah. So there was a time in our country that those laws, and they were in every single state, had different Jim Crow laws, basically set limitations on what black people could do. And so the civil rights legislation was about being able to tear down those unfair laws, right? And so when I think about inclusion and supporting people with disabilities, it's, this, it's a similar concept of so it's a civil right and you need to make sure that everyone has access. And so you know, I uh, really love the quote that Martin Luther King says, And he said, you know, injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. And I think that's the same situation, right? So if you see that a person with a disability um, is not being treated fairly, not given access, you should should feel outraged and you should want to do something about it. And that's the same for someone who's being discriminated against based upon any of their characteristics.
0: So I was talking to my mom in the car and I heard that immunizations cause autism. Is that true?
1: That's a really good question, Alex, and it's actually one that is hard to answer. Largely because honestly, there's not a, I haven't read any credible research to that says that autism is linked to. Uh, immunizations, actually we have a lot of credible good science to say that it's not. But there's a group of, of people that really believe that there is a connection. Um, and so we know that one in 59 people in this country uh, are could ha- are going to have, will have autism in every country. We, there's different numbers, but in our country the latest numbers are one in 59. Um, and we also know that there's a genetic and environmental component to what causes autism, but we don't know what exact genes cause autism. You know, We haven't we have narrowed down to about a little bit under 300. But we don't know exactly which ones, and we also don't know exactly what in the environment causes autism too. Um, So we have, um, because of that, we know that autism is something that is just a kind of like a part of life, and it it's a part of the human experience. So you know, everyone has had the experience of having a relative that may have been a little quirky, or can recite the entire encyclopedia, or um, no interesting facts. Um, so you know, those things we might we might now know as being the scripting which is a, something that people with autism do, they'll repeat things over and over again, or they'll stem, right, which is a repetitive behavior. Um, but we didn't have a name for it then, um, and now we do, right? And so I believe that you know, um, autism is probably more likely, have been, has been a part of the human experience. We're just able to identify it a little bit more um, clearly now, and then we have different ideas when it comes to supporting and, and treatment and things of that sort. Um, so I think that you know, when it comes to um, the immunization piece, you know, it it really can be tricky and controversial um, because there are groups of people that really do believe that autism is the root. Um, So I I try not to argue too much with people that are very passionate about that because as a parent I can understand really wanting to feel like you have an answer. Um, And if you don't feel like you can get the answer that you might feel hopeless or helpless. So I can empathize with that as being a parent. Um, So there's an autism activist that I really, I follow and I respect his name is John Elder Robinson. And he talks about how, for him, as a person with autism, an autistic individual, he doesn't argue Um, and allows uh, people that believe that autism is caused by um, vaccinations to, you know, if they need to blame vaccinations, and so be it as long as they get to the point, which is really that we're doing something to support autistic individuals um, and being included and having access. And I think if we can all get to that point, that's the the bigger picture. Um, But with that said, I feel like it is unfortunate that there are children that are, um, getting really sick, and some even dying, um, because they're not being vaccinated uh, from diseases that have been really annihilated from our country. Um, so it's really sad when children have to get sick for no reason because we have a vaccination to protect them for that. And that's happening. There's outbreaks, outbreaks in a lot of places in our country now. Um, that I, for you know many places in the world that I've been to, um, you know, their parents would have access to a vaccination to be able to prevent their child from being sick. They would take it absolutely. Um, because nobody wants to see their child sick. So I think that that's a a key thing to think about, but I also, um, I do respect the fact that, you know, if if people, you know, their beliefs, I'm not gonna argue with them about that piece. I think what we have um, specifically when we're thinking about um, ASD um, and autism is that, you know, it's just a part of a different type of wiring, right, and it's not, any less, it's not any better, it's just different. And so um, I I actually think that when, you know, as you know, my son has autism, my son Eli, and one of the things that I love a lot about him has a lot to do with his ASD. So the fact that he has a really amazing memory for events, you know, he can recall things like vividly when it comes to experiences um, and give us context to those experiences that I forgot. Right? And so I know that it's because of the way he's wired, he can do that. And I know that, you know, some of that is his personality and some of that is his autism. And either way, I love it. So I think it's amazing just really trying to include children.
0: Also, I hate, um, also I hate it when people say like, like oh, you're autistic and, that, and like they make it sound like a bad thing. Like you're stupid or you're dumb. And it's not. I don't think it's funny. There's a kid at my school who s- said stuff ab- about it, and I got really upset. And so, just, just if somebody calls you autistic, just don't listen to them because it's not a bad thing either. That's like right. people, like people like me, like Eli can do the same thing as me. I can start. He can start his own podcast. And he can, because he's smart enough, because uh, us people with autism are smart enough to do other things that people, that other people can do, so just if, if you call someone autistic or somebody calls you autistic, don't make it sound like a bad thing, or if, and my dad says this all the time, if it doesn't sound right to you, don't say it at all. Mm-hmm. I love that, Alex, and I think that's so
1: true. You know, I think one of the things people be- believe uh, and have internalized is that autism or even having a disability is a negative thing, mm-hmm. and I don't think it is at all. I think that it's just a dif- it's just a part of who you are, and so I myself am dyslexic, and so that means that I have, my brain is wired where reading is, is a different experience than people who are not dyslexic. And for me, one of the things that I really appreciate about being dyslexic is that I understand that it helps me see the world in a, in a way that I put pieces together differently than others. It has helped me so much in my, my research. But then also, um, I read a lot through hearing so i listen a lot to the books that i read and as a result of doing that so well i've trained myself where i can read two to sometimes four times faster than the average person because i can listen at a very very fast rate um but and that's become like a superpower right that's become something that you know i can uniquely do because i'm dyslexic and so you know i think it's a way, something that you should be proud of. You know, that you have a neurodevelopmental difference. And if it wasn't for people like us that have neurodevelopmental differences, our world would be pretty bland and we wouldn't have as many advances in the world. And, um, you know, I think that they really need us, so.
0: So, your son Eli is on the autism spectrum. How do you encourage him every day?
1: So yeah, Eli is on the autism spectrum and like I said, I love him very, very much. Um, and so one of the things that I recently had to really encourage Eli in um, was uh, he was he actually got really upset with me because I kept having him go to camps, and so he was in a camp with you a couple weeks ago or last week and a week before, um, and he likes the idea of going of, of doing some things, but he'd rather be home. And so uh, Eli asked me, you know, why do you keep putting me in camps? Why do you keep? And I had to kind of. Explain explain, and this was something that I learned talking to adults with autism, is that sometimes they can feel that when their parents keep putting them in things like camps or therapies and things of that sort, that it's trying to change them and that they're not good enough. And I had to make sure that he understood that that's not the case. I think he's perfect and I don't want to change anything about him, including his autism. Um, But I told him him that I kind of feel like he's like a diamond. And I showed him my ring and I said, you're like this diamond, you're perfect, You're amazing i love it i love you everything about it the therapies and the camps those are allowing you to shine right it's just like shining you up like shining a diamond and because i want him to ultimately have independence and i want him to be able to do what he wants to do and i think what really sold him is when i told him you know what i want you to be able to get to the place where mommy doesn't have to tell you What to do and he was like okay (laughs) he was happy about that so i encourage him those ways
0: so maybe a lot of people don't know about this but like my mom you love prince why do you like him so much so prince is
1: amazing but i think that the reason why i love prince besides the fact he was my first boyfriend I was four when Purple Rain came out. And so I feel like, honestly, like I shouldn't have watched Purple Rain now looking back, like why did my parents let me watch it? I don't know, but I was watching it. And so I saw it, but he was the first person that I could say that I looked at what he did and I admired him. And I thought that, wow, I really admire your art right and so for me like i to this day whenever i see someone operating in a function where they're authentically loving their their art or their craft right like right now alex i feel like the fact that you're doing your podcast and you're writing your books you are operating in your purpose and you're operating in your art and that is excites me and so looking at prince and the way that he operated and that everything was about his art, about his music, um, that inspires me, right? And so that's why I love Prince so much because I feel like, you know, he's a model of being authentic and being um, just really true to your craft and so that's why Prince is so exciting besides he was my first boyfriend.
0: I I like Michael Jackson a lot because some of his songs write good messages And I first figured about him at at two years old, because my mom kept, like, playing videos on, well, it was on TV, and then, then, like, I guess, like, 11 years later, she regretted it, so,
1: (laughs) so. Yeah, I remember you uh, doing Michael Jackson impersonations in preschool. (laughs) I used to watch you while I was in the observation room at your preschool, and you
0: would do Michael Jackson dance moves. <laughs> it was I, great. I brought bad al- the Bad album with me like every day. I know. So you have two kids, Eli and J.O., and what are your favorite things about them?
1: OK, so I love my children very much. I think that a part of a part of my purpose was to be their mother. I know that for sure. And the things that I love about them, um, so JL is creative. Um, she's intelligent. Um, she is really, really great at organization and she's super funny, right? So she has like a really she's, she has a great like sarcastic wit about her that is pretty awesome. And so I think she's like a really like well-rounded person. So I respect her and I admire her. Um, and Eli is super funny. Um, he's probably the funniest person I've ever met. Like he's hilarious, <laughs> and um, he's intelligent. He's compassionate, and you know he—he's the kind of person that I would want to be if I was his age. I would want to be his friend because he really does care about his friends deeply, um, and I love that about him. And he's super lovable. So he gives the best hugs, the best kisses. He he makes me feel like I'm a really great individual. <laughs> <laughs> so I love being around him.
0: You um, and Jay are both like great friends. Thank and you. They're really good. Like I like them a lot because they they have like a lot of things that I admire about them because they're like they're really funny they like they're passionate about things i love it when eli comes
1: over because me and him have a lot of fun so i i like that a lot yeah and so, i was going to tell you eli um, i told eli originally i was going to do this podcast with him like me and you were me and eli were going to do it together and he said no i want my own show mom you're going to do it by yourself <laughs> so like you're going to have to definitely talk to him about this yeah
0: So my last question, what would you tell your 11-year-old self? That's a really
1: good question. So I think, so at 11 years old, I would tell myself not to worry because I used to, I still am more of an anxious person, but I was even more anxious then. And so I think that I would tell myself not to worry, Um, also let myself know that one day they will listen to you, because I did not feel like they listened to me. So people listened to me. I felt like adults were very unwise for not listening to me, but they, <laughs> they did. So, um, but one day I will be heard. Um, and then also to slow down, enjoy being a kid, um, and get ready because I'm gonna have a really fulfilling life. And so I think that that would be what i tell myself.
0: Okay, so I'm going to ask you 10 quick questions. Are you ready? Okay. What is your favorite movie?
1: Okay, my favorite movie, Dreamgirls. Favorite treat? Treat to eat? uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Favorite place to visit? I love Morocco. But specifically um, there was a place called Chefchaouen within Morocco that was amazing. But I like Lake Tahoe too. Lake Tahoe is a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> <laughs> T-shirt wear.
1: T-shirt? I like any graphic tee that has something like social justice bent on it. <laughs> book? Book. Okay I'm rereading The Alchemist. That's a really good book. Um, I have so many. Okay, but that'll be one. Color. Purple. Food. I love macaroni and cheese. I can't eat a lot of it nowadays, but I love it.
0: Favorite singer besides Prince? Beyonce. Woohoo, I'm a beehive. <laughs> Favorite type of animal?
1: Type of animal? Mm-hmm. I don't really like animals that much, but if I had to, it would be dogs. I have a dog. Billie Jean, is her name.
0: Billie Jean's her name. Favorite type of weather? Weather? I like sunny weather. Okay. So thank you, Auntie Elizabeth, for being on my show today. How would you like to end this show?
1: Just by thanking you for having me and letting you know how proud I am of you, how much I love you, and
0: um, I just I'm loving to, I'm loving watching you shine. Thank so thank you. you. So thank you for listening and subscribing. I will be back with en- next week with another community leader. Bye. Peace.